gentlemen, and welcome to the Rock and Roll Podcast. Check out this record. My name is Frank, and with me is my good buddy, Mark. Hey, Frank. Hey there, listeners. <laughs> so I hope everyone is doing well out there. We are syndicated via Redline Radio LLC out of Cleveland, Ohio, and you could find us on Spotify and Apple Music and all those other places where you digest a good podcast. Yeah, normally this is where I tell you to head over to YouTube so that you can see how, what this podcast looked like, and I make a joke about what uh, outfit Frank's wearing, but there's no video this week, so just assume that we are both fully nude. <laughs> That's right. And for any new listeners out there, this is the podcast where Mark and I recommend albums to each other to review, listen to and review them. Plus, we have a wide variety of musical discussions like our Spotlight series where you dig into a band's catalog and we see what comes out on the other side. Yep. In our Verse series, we pit two albums against each other and uh, make them fight over total stereo domination. That's right. Now, be sure to check us out on Instagram, and we have a new Facebook group. We'd like to drop additional content that will hopefully leave you wanting more musical goodness and, of course, Mark's random nonsense. And, of course, if you have a record that you want us to check out, drop us a comment wherever you find us. While you're at it, like and subscribe. Give us a review and a rating. So I always say this. Mark, my man, how are you? Frankie. I'm good, man. I'm just enjoying a nice lazy uh, weekend. I've got me a nice tall glass of whiskey. And um, why don't you tell our dear listeners what uh, what new and exciting thing we've got for them this week? Absolutely. So we're both super excited for this episode because we are joined by the band High on Stress, hailing from Indianapolis, Minnesota, and I know Illinois, respectively. So, so gentlemen, how are you guys doing? Doing, doing great. Well. Thanks for having us here. Doing real well. <laughs> good, good. Well, again, we really appreciate the time. Uh, I know you guys are super busy with life and family, so we appreciate the time that we have here now. Uh, if you guys just want to go, let's round robin it. Let's take a few seconds here and introduce yourselves and what roles you guys play in the band. All right, I'll go first. I'm I'm Mark. I'm uh, the drummer in the band, and uh, I'm here in Minneapolis. Very cool. I am Nick. I am the uh, the singer, guitar player guy, and I'm in Minneapolis as well. I guess that leaves me. I'm Jim. I'm the bass player, and I'm uh, I'm in Illinois, so just north of Chicago. Ah, uh, very cool. Well, we're, we're glad you guys are are here. Uh, we have two marks and two drummers, so each mark is a drummer. So that's that's pretty cool. Uh, so, well, of course, one's with a C, one's with a K. Um, Let's go into some of the band history. I, I know, Nick, from my research, and correct me if I'm wrong, I believe you moved to Minneapolis in, in 99. So is that kind of tell us a little bit, maybe some of the history of how the band got together? How'd you guys meet all that good stuff? Yes, you know, uh, we got together in a uh, very long time ago now, uh, 2003, uh, I put up a, a band wanted sign, literally looking for every member of the band, including a singer, which uh, Mark can go into here. Uh, but uh, Mark <laughs> responded to that ad. And, uh, and because of that, he has been stuck with me ever since. <laughs> yeah, Mark, was that, it, you're stuck it was, with him, huh? <laughs> yeah, it was a it was a funny ad. I had um, played in other bands um, on and off over the years, hadn't been playing for a while, and uh, wasn't sure if I was going to be playing anytime soon again. And then I I saw this ad, uh, and I always look at those ads. You know, you go into the music store and you just kind of browse through those things that are pinned up on the on the bulletin board, and sometimes they're, they're kind of good for a laugh. Or maybe laugh at yourself because you realize how out of touch you are with music when you see, uh, you know, the age groups and and uh, influences and things like that. And this was this was really no exception. There were, there was a lot of stuff, um, a lot of metal stuff, looking new metal stuff, uh, you know, being posted, looking for influences like Corn and Limp Biscuit and such. And I'm I'm kind of laughing, thinking, you know, yeah, this maybe maybe I'm not uh, going to be playing with anybody these days and i saw nick's uh ad and nick what's what stood out other than the musical um things in common which which were kind of unusual uh compared to some of these other ads was the fact that he was he was pretty much advertising for every role in the band including himself uh he wanted a a singer a bass player a keyboard player drummer uh lead guitarist after reading this ad, I, I was wondering what he was going to do. So I thought it was kind of funny. 
And I thought, I, I can call this guy. This seems pretty low pressure because I don't know if he's even going to be in the band or whether he's going to be like Ruben Kincaid and be the manager or something. <laughs> yeah, it was never never my uh, plan. I, I wanted to play guitar and maybe write some songs, but it was never my plan to sing in the band. And then um, soon after that, an old uh, friend, uh, recording engineer, John Tranberry, got a hold of me and asked me what my plans were for a new band because I had left my old band. And right. uh, he had he had engineered my old band's records. And uh, I told him I just met this this Mark guy and we got together and he's like, what are you going to do about a bass player? And I said, I don't know yet. And he offered his services and he hadn't played in a band in quite a while as well. So uh, that's kind of how it all came together. And then our original guitar player, Ben, uh, came through him. And then uh, a couple years later, uh, Ben and uh, John left the band pretty much mid John left after our first album and Ben left partially through our second album. So in came Jim and Chad at that point, respectively. Right, Jim? Yeah, yeah there, Jim. no, I was just going to say, I think it's funny too. So yeah, I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> um, no, I, I thought it was funny. So Nick and I met each other working. We worked together at Target, but I remember my first day at target and i happened to walk by nick's desk and he had he had like prince stuff and wilco stuff he had all sorts of band stuff on his desk i'm like i need to meet that guy um <laughs> you know so and then i uh, i came out to see the band play and um got to know the guys a little bit so when john left i i offered up said hey i've never played bass in a band before but i'll play with you guys until you find somebody new and um, it was right before we went and played this big thing in Sturgeon Bay opening for Jackson Brown. And I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll lend my services as long as you want to keep me. And so here we are a million years later, that was 2006. I'm still here. So I must've done something right. Yeah. See, Jim is a, Jim, Jim's a fanboy of the band that we have allowed to play with us and he's still on double secret probation. I don't know if he knows <laughs> it, Jim, did you move to get out of the band, but they just kept you in? What's, what's the situation there? Cause there were, you guys took a little bit of a hiatus, right? <laughs> yeah. So I, I uh, you know, it's the, the, the true story, right? You meet a, you meet a gal and you get married and have a couple of kids and then she wants to move closer to home. So we, uh, we decided to move our family to, to Northern Illinois to be closer to her family and stuff. And, you know, back in 2013, 2014, when I told the guys, I mean, it just didn't seem feasible. It really didn't seem feasible to continue the band, um, at least with the four of us, you know, and I ultimately said, hey, I get, you know, I understand, um, you know, I understand what whatever it is that we want to do, but you know, um, I'd love to make things work. I just don't know if I can being 400 miles away, so on and so forth. So, you know, ultimately, you know, and I can let the guys talk about the ultimate decision to, to break up the band uh, for the short period of time, but uh, it just didn't seem feasible at that time, which is funny to think about what we've done over the last two years now. Right. Right. No, we finished was that, our was that last, like an official breakup or? Yeah, no, we uh, we released our last, in quotations, record, uh, Leaving Minneapolis. We were working right. on it, about to record it around the time that Jim told us he was out. And uh, so we decided, you know what, we've got about, I think it was probably nine months to a year. And we spent that time playing shows and working on that record. And then we had uh, our release show was actually our final show at the Parkway Theater in Minneapolis, which is just a fantastic show one for the books right um, and then we walked away from it for about uh just about four years and uh then suddenly out of nowhere um and, and chad is, is part of, chad should be here for this because he was part of uh the ones to blame here or one day he just uh <laughs> we'd left some bands we were in or i did and then he uh texted me one morning and he said we should get high on stress back together. <laughs> I, you think so? He's like, yeah. And I go, yeah, I kind of want that to happen too. And then we went back and forth via text quite a bit. Um, and then the next day he called me on the phone and he was uh, visiting his family in another state. And I said, hey, do you mean what you said yesterday? He's like, oh, I was really drunk. 
Um, but yeah, I meant it. <laughs> That's how Frank and I get most of our ideas done too, is that I just get really drunk and text them. And then, and then I get an email with a bunch of information I didn't ask for. Well, well what kind of worked out then is I, uh, I called Mark on the phone maybe a day or two later and I said, you know what, I, this is what I think we should do. Maybe, you know, maybe Jim can figure something out and, and got a load of songs here. I think it's going to be our best record. And, uh, Mark, uh, agreed somehow. <laughs> well, there was, there was another piece of it too, that I think is important. We had a friend, a really, you know, good friend of the band, big supporter, um, guy named dave wilson who here in minneapolis who had uh, a big birthday coming up and every time he turns you know the, a new decade um you know 20 30 40 whatever birthday um he he has a big party and he gets you know some pretty um good bands playing you know friends of his that he knows from the, from being uh in the, in this music scene here for, for many right, years right. so um, he always has his favorite bands play every every ten years, and he'd gotten a commitment from us uh, long before we broke up or even knew that we were going to break up uh, to play the next one, the next milestone birthday party that came around. And you know, he he held us to it. He was asking us, "Well, you guys, you know, you got to get together to, to play my my party at least." And we're like, oh, I don't know, but you know, it just seemed like uh, we could probably pull off a one off. You know, we didn't hate each other or anything you know and jim was at a point where he could um come back here once in a while for family visits and things like that so we thought yeah we can do a show maybe you know throw it together probably won't be great and then we were surprised that we we found out that we could actually um still play everything just as well if not better as when we'd been uh sweating it out in a practice space you know once a week there was a lot of muscle memory sure, and just sure. a lot of you know chemistry and just things that click effortlessly when you play music with the same group of people and write music with the same group of people for so many years. So it, it kind of came back together effortlessly for that one night. And it was a great night. And I think that opened uh, our minds to, you know, if there was a way to, to do this with Jim's still living in Illinois, uh, maybe we could resume things on, on a, maybe a different level of activity. We can, you know, play shows, um, closer to where he lives maybe we're not going to be playing as much around town here but you know that was okay uh in our mind so it actually ended up working out just fine for what we do um we also made, we also put out a compilation a a greatest hits an album full of songs nobody's ever heard that we call high on stress greatest hits yeah sorry. and we um wanted to record you know uh a new song for that because if people bought our old records we thought you know, it'd be cool for them to have another song, a new song. And that recording session that took place at, at Chad, uh, who's not here, the guitar player, Chad's studio. Nashville fan. Yeah, that, uh, that uh, session was really effortless as well. That song came together. The recording came together, you know, just almost like, you know, just like riding a bike or falling off a log or whatever the other cliches are so all, all that stuff is you know it all came together really organically to use that over overused term um you know we didn't really have to force it back together it just kind of happened and and made sense once we we tried to put it back together it, it just came back together uh almost on its own sure now now nick in those four years i guess this is for you specifically are, are you still practicing those songs every once in a while are you picking up the guitar are you going through those or they're kind of tucked away in in another life and this is what you were like doing at one point but you're not currently doing it now no it's weird because i walked away from the parkway and uh thought that you know after playing all those songs for years that they weren't going to be played again and i ended up playing a couple of them in those years a couple times but overall they were just kind of they were kind of on the sidelines um, and I was just doing new stuff. And so when, you know, we showed up for that reunion kind of party, birthday party show, um, Jim walked up to the front door with his bass and we really hadn't practiced, which was kind of nuts because it had been, you know, probably a few years at that point. And uh, so we were all, we were all kind of coming in cold on it and, uh, it was pretty fun because I remember Mark clicking in, you know, and there's that kind of nerve, nerves that happen when you haven't played for a while. And sure. he clicked in and it, 
instantly we all looked at each other and went, whoa, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe we still have something here. Well, and I think the crazy thing, even for that show there, if I remember correctly, and it had been, I don't think it had been more than two years when we played that show for Dave, but it was literally the first time in two years, all four of us had been in the same room together um, since the parkway, which was crazy. Um, you know, and I, I can think over the years, all the times where, you know, we'll start a, start a set or we're in the middle of a set or whatever. And if things are really grooving and clicking, you know, Mark and I will look at each other's the rhythm section and we kind of do the head nod like, hell yeah, this is, this is right where we need to be. And it felt great to have that be, you know, on note one, a show we haven't, or, you know, playing for the first time in two years and be like, oh yeah, it's just like 2014 again. It, it was awesome. That's pretty no, cool. It, it was really cool. Like, it, I remember we, we walked off and Chad came over and he said, we need to do this all the time. <laughs> so I think that was the beginning before Chad got drunk and, and, and really made things go. <laughs> well, I'm glad the rhythm section was tight. You know, when, when Mark and I were in bands, the big the biggest obstacle we had, right, Mark, was finding a bass player. So there was one time when we just abandoned the bass player and it was just me on an acoustic guitar and Mark on the drums, right, Mark? That's right, yeah. Long live cheating at solitaire. That was the name. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> it's got to be the beauty of having a dedicated uh, bass player who lives 400 miles away. There's some dedication there if he shows up. <laughs> no, yeah, absolutely. No Jim, if you want to come to South Florida, I, yeah, I'm i open. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So in our research, you know, there, I would say that there isn't much about you guys, you know, in, in regards to information that's out there. So when folks are first discovering you guys for the first time and when they're listening to this right now, what what should they know about you guys and about the band? Ooh, wow. Where, where to start with that? Um, well, you know, just branching off from where we were, when we did get back together and everybody agreed, we started working on this new record. I uh, had a handful of songs coming in and... Uh, you know, the new record is really inspired by a few things. Uh, you know, the replacements, of course, has been kind of a running, you know, a running thing under the radar for years that people always point out uh, the influence there. Sure. Uh, and, you know, we've we've opened for Tommy Stinson. We've uh, opened for Slim Dunlap. In fact, we were his backing band at a couple of shows as well. Um so there, there's that piece of it. And then also we had opened up for, um, you know, we're all big fans, but I would say Mark is probably the the, the biggest fan around of uh, Tommy Keene. Right. Um, and uh, we'd opened for him and, and he was just a wonderful guy. Uh, and he passed away. And that was another piece of this puzzle too. Uh, Mark and I went out to uh, Los Angeles for his kind of memorial. They had the memorial party for him. Right. Um, and Mark and I spent some time together there because it had been a little bit since we hung out. So that was a little piece of it as well. So this record really was kind of a culmination of just the freshness of starting over um, with a, a familiar band. You know, wherever, when you play together that long, you know where everything's going to be. You know where Mark's going to have this really, I call them lyrical drum parts. Like you could sing them almost. And you know where Jim's going to pop in with the vocals. So there was the kind of that familiar nature mixed with something that felt new because we were starting it over mixed with just, you know, our love of the replacements and our love of Tommy Keene. And he passed away, like I said. So there was a little bit of a, a tribute to uh, to Tommy Keene and what we did on this newest record as well. Cool. Yeah. You know, I, I'm, I'm a little late to the and that. And I saw that I saw that you guys opened up for Tommy Stinson and, of course, Tommy Keene. And I'm late to the Tommy Keene party. But uh, as I got into it, I was like, this is fantastic. And only my heart to be broken finding out that he passed away. I think he's a really undiscovered uh, gem. And I try to educate people as much as I can on him because uh, I, I find his stuff to be really awesome. And I'm sure playing with him, that had to be some experience for you guys. Right. You want to grab that, Mark? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. it was a, a tremendous experience. Um, you know, we, I like Nick said, I've, I've been a fan for years and um, got to know him a little bit at first as a as a fan. And then, you know, later on, we ended up putting some of these shows together with him um, and our mutual friend Slim Dunlap. Um, right. You know, Tommy knew Slim, of course, from, from back in the day when... Um, 
uh, Tommy opened, I think, one of the replacements tours, probably uh, Don't Tell a Soul. And uh, so he knows those guys, of course. And we, we had, yeah, we had these great shows with him um, that we were involved in and, and got to know him uh, a bit as, as a friend as well as uh, somebody that we're big fans of. So uh, it, it was great. Those were all really great experiences. And, you know, it just, yeah, I think, you know, as far as the influence on, on this record, it, it was a bit of, um, yeah, realizing that, you know, hey, nobody's getting any younger and you know there's no reason not to try to uh keep making music if we can if there's a way to do it and we nick and i were like you know tommy's passing because we got to know him a bit as a friend as well as somebody we played shows with and huge fans of his music and stuff and you know he was he's a really great guy and we got to know all you know some of his friends um some of his inner circle and they were all wonderful people as well and when Nick and I, you know, went out to that memorial for him, I think we realized, you know, nobody's getting any younger and we should just do this, you know, while we can, um, if we want to. And Nick had it, uh, as he said, a handful of songs that were really strong. And right. I listened to them and I thought, yeah, this, this potentially could be, you know, better than anything that we did on our previous records. So it seemed like there was there were reasons to move forward, not just for the sake of nostalgia or, you know, anything else, but also like, hey, we could we could actually make a record that's, you know, better than the band could actually be better than it used to be. And I think that's what happened. I think, um, you know, with the recording technology, of course, you know, Jim's able to do a lot um, from where he is and we're able to do things on our end. Um, we also had some other collaborators on this record that also were able to kind of work remotely at times, but then also come into Chad's studio and record things as well. So all that technology really, uh, facilitated us being able to to write and record a new record that we felt really strongly about right and and then you know after we got back together we were playing shows um all over uh the midwest and you know those shows were going great as well we, of course we were hoping that we'd be able to promote this record because we thought we had a a decent record on our hands but it's nice that it's finding an audience you know that people are, are still getting into it and finding it on the internet or through you know hearing it on the radio or whatever well, and I think I think the other cool part too is you know I think, granted, four years is is maybe it is a long time, but in the grand scheme of things, isn't necessarily a, a super long break, especially since we had played off and on together. Sure. Um, but I think it's interesting the 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 time spent apart and how I think it's helped our collaboration um, and just kind of the growth because I think our musical taste it's not like any of our out of the four of us our musical tastes changed a ton in four years, but I think probably what we've consumed individually and how it's impacted the, you know, knowing the yins and yangs and how we zig and zag together. But some of the new things, I think that's, you know, I don't think there's anything, I don't want to say there's anything terribly off the wall, different about the new record, but it's also not, you know, paint by numbers either, which I think is awesome. Um, we've been able to kind of find our stride while also being a little, uh, you know, taking risks that maybe we wouldn't have done post, um, you know, post leaving Minneapolis had we'd stayed together. So, yeah, well, that's cool. And I definitely want to get into kind of the, the similarities and maybe some uh, the, some differences and contrast be, between the records for sure. Uh, before we get into that, I think, Mark, you want to kind of talk about a, a top list, right? Yeah. So just to, just to help the the listeners at home or in their car or sitting on the bus, wherever they are, uh, kind of get to know you guys. Frank and I like to do top 10 lists. Uh, we're going to keep it pretty simple. We're going to do a top five list. We're going to do uh, your top five records to party to. Now, if you guys don't have five records uh, individually ready to fire, we can do one a piece, just something you like to put on and, and listen to uh, while having a good time. Obviously, uh, COVID parties are making these pretty solo, but hey, nothing wrong with putting on a record and having a good time. So uh, feel free to jump in. What's uh, one of or five of your favorite records to party to? All right, go ahead, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Nick. Come on, Nick. <laughs> Passing it over to me. Oh, well, let's see. I'm always down for some prints. I can, you know, I can't, I can't play the funk, but I can listen to the funk. There you so. go. I would pretty much go with any Prince record, uh, Sign of the Times probably being my favorite, uh, but for that real good funk, maybe Controversy. Nice. All right. Nice. Jim? 
<laughs> yeah, I you know I think for me, um, uh, I would I enjoy a good uh, a good Jason Isabel record. I know that seems like a silly thing to say to party to, but um, <laughs> when I need to when I need to soak into some music, there's definitely that. Um, I'm a huge Guster fan. Um, I can listen to Guster all day long, every day. Um, there's just something about their music that. Um, that just, that just kills me. So, um, and then I've been known to enjoy Jimmy Eat World. Um, they're a band that I just can't get enough of too. So those sure. probably be my top, top three, probably. Mark. Yeah. I mean, I would, you know, uh, there's, there's certain things that are kind of staples, <clears throat> excuse me, staples of my, uh, musical diet, always, you know, listening to various Tommy Keen records, the replacements, um, Thin Lizzy is a band that I really love. The Live and Dangerous record is a, is a really great live album that um, a lot of people know about, but, but many more don't. And I think it's one of the best live albums out there. Uh, you know, that's stuff that I've been listening to uh, a lot lately. It's kind of hard to talk about partying because, you know, what, what is partying now? You know, someone's on a Zoom call and they're you know, having a drink on their end or something. I, mean, I, I don't is, even know. This is the party right now, actually. <laughs> this, is the, this is the biggest party I've been to in, in, in a year. <laughs> oh, good. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll step in for Chad here because he's not here. Chad would probably tell you Nirvana in utero. Uh, but since he's not here, um, <laughs> his favorite record to party to is uh, Smash Mouth All-Star. <laughs> nice. 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 Well, my Mark, uh, tell Chad you, might actually listen to that record. We don't even know for a fact. I bet he is a Smash Mouth fan. I, we're I'm gonna not, we're gonna find I don't know him. If we know Chad anymore. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna find him buried in his basement, you know, listening to Smash Mouth records, and we're gonna be like, oh, we were just kidding. We didn't know. <laughs> it, it'll have like a it's um, everyone on vinyl. He's weighing the merits between Smash Mouth and Sugar Ray, and who's better. <laughs> oh, I mean that's that's obviously gonna be Sugar Ray. Yeah. Right. I say I, that I'm just sorry, completely I'm, pulling my head out of my ass. I, you know, I, I feel like I'm Probably treating just Chad based like on a bass player here. So I, I apologize to Chad when he listens to this. I shouldn't treat you like a bass player. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Well, my Mark. Hey, anything to deflect the attention from me, that's fine. <laughs> my Mark, do you want to tell everyone kind of what's been on your record player real quick? or You know, I got a um, – we recently did uh, an episode on the B-52s and their, their self-titled first record. Um, and I just absolutely, I've, I kind of came out of the closet about being a B-52s fan. Um, you know, with all my punk rock credit, I didn't want to ruin it, but I just love that record and I've been listening to it way too much lately. <laughs> what about you, Frankie? Well, you know, um, took the girls to the record store the other day, of course, you know, I have two daughters, so, you know, we, we got Beauty and the Beast, the picture disc edition. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it's a party. It is. It is a party. But besides that, um, you know, my oldest wanted Pet Sounds on the other day. Uh, I had Huey Lewis and uh, the news. I had sports on, um, you know, of course, yes. the, the many the many Sinatra records that you know, I grew up to being uh, you know, uh, son to someone who is obsessed with Sinatra. So those, those, that's what's been uh, getting the party started here at the Di Maria household. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so always a good time. Now, all right, so let's talk about kind of the uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota sound. Mark and I are from Florida. Mark's in Central Florida. I'm in South Florida. There is no sound here. I'm just being honest. Not really a big scene. Very true. Hey, we, we put out more metal bands per capita than any other scene. There you go. There you go. Yeah. And they all suck. <laughs> it's very transient. So you, go ahead. What parts, of, uh, what parts of Florida are you from? Are you in? So I'm outside of Fort Lauderdale, and Mark used to live outside of Fort Lauderdale also, and now Mark's around the Orlando area. So yep. ah, gotcha. Okay. Yep. Yep. Ironically, I'm the one without kids, but I moved to the the best county in Florida to move to to raise a family. Yeah. And I hate kids. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. There, but there you go. That's a discussion. My cats like it. Yeah. So discussion for another time. But so. If you look at the history of everyone who's been from Minnesota and the Minneapolis area, obviously Dylan Wright is from Minnesota. Prince, you you mentioned replacements, yeah. Husker Du, Soul Asylum, Craig Finn now in Hold Steady, even though Hold Steady is based out of Brooklyn, right? Uh, Jayhawks, Motion City Soundtrack. They're known for all these great bands. What is, I guess, that sound, if you had to describe it, and, and how do you see the bands roll into it? 
Oh, that's a good question. I, you know, you get that Minneapolis sound thrown around a lot. Um, and I feel like it's almost like three different sounds, right? It's, uh, it's Prince in the time and the, and the real funky stuff. Uh, and you've got your replacements, Husker Du, and then, you know, you've got the other opposite side, which is more of that kind of Jayhawks, which is a little closer to the replacements, but a little bit more, uh, Americana alt country. Right. Uh, so other than the funk, uh, which Mark won't let me play because um, <laughs> I have no rhythm. Um, uh, I would say we fall into those other two categories of the Minneapolis sound. But, you know, whenever we get reviewed, that that inevitably pops up. Somebody will always point out that we kind of have that Minneapolis sound, and, and we'll take it because, like you said, it's a great history here. I think, it's, uh, you know, sorry, is it Jim, is that who I'm stepping on? Yeah, um, go ahead, Mark. I just, I mean, I had a thought, you know, I do think that, you know, whenever you have places, uh, I think a lot of the rock and roll stuff is influenced by the weather. Uh, when you talk about, you know, Florida, there is music in Florida, there, there are bands there, um, but, you know, a lot of it is, you know, there's a lot of reggae, there's a lot of sure. kind of sure. more modern surf kind of music, there's a lot of that kind of parrot head sort of thing, you know, I mean, I think that the music scene um, or, or, you know, there's, whether there's a lot of cover bands, it's, it, I think it's influenced by the music, you know, and if, in a lot of places in Florida, you're on vacation or your daily life is kind of, you know, life's a beach. You're going, you're not hanging out in some dungeon of a basement, you know, with your friends writing, writing rock and roll because you can't, uh, you know, you've got nothing else to do and you've got cabin fever and you're stuck inside because it's winter for nine months. Right. You know, so I think the Minneapolis rock stuff is, is influenced by uh, people sort of you know, being stuck indoors a lot and having to uh, express their, their creativity that way. And I think also a place like this, you know, Minneapolis, I think that the, um, the, the city, Minneapolis and St. Paul, I think it, you know, attracts a lot of um, people of an artistic sensibility, you know, so I think that that goes into the mix as well. But I think if, if you look at um, places where there's, there's a sort of a rock and roll scene, I think you'll find that there's a lot of bad weather there. <laughs> it's true makes sense that's a fair argument for me i was going to ask you guys um you know playing gigs both big and small are really important and how a band grows and develops its sound is there anything uh you guys learned on stage as opposed to in that practice room uh that really pushed the direction of your band sound wise or did you guys really have that keyed in in the practice room you know i think I think we probably had a key in the in the practice room for sure. I think uh, some of the best some of the best uh, performances we probably ever gave were behind a closed door in the practice space over some mini donuts. Nice. Do you agree, Mark and Jim? Yeah, I, would, I think. I would... Yeah, go ahead, Jim. Oh, I was just saying. I yeah, I think I think to a certain extent you're right. Um, I think that. It helps with the the muscle memory piece too that makes our live shows so good. Um, I honestly think that over the years, you know, and again, we've all been playing together for so long. I mean, this current version of the lineup has been playing together since like mid two thousand eight. You know, it's been a long time. Um, I think that the practice space as well as the stage has helped us to not. I mean, to take the music seriously, but not to take things too seriously that we forget about having fun and enjoying, you know, making music together and going out and playing for people. Um, at least that's how I feel. I don't know if everybody, um, all four of the guys feel that way, but, um, I do feel that we've learned that lesson because the more fun we seem to have on stage, the more fun that people are listening to us seem to have too. So. Yeah. No, I think our ability to bring the practice space to the stage tends to work in our favor a lot of times because we're, we're a little ridiculous as people at times. Well, when the four of us drink, are together the uh we hit the highway and about two miles in our iq just drops and i think that's <laughs> sort of what makes our live show fun. so uh, so yeah. do i do i understand this correctly at the live show you guys bring mini donuts oh no no that's just oh oh, oh okay yeah. no, we we don't don't that. Anymore, though, so we don't want it you know don't i just wanted a donut that's <laughs> mark likes a good yeah I he likes a good crawler. pretty uh our show's pretty you know straightforward i mean it is we're just a four-piece rock band live you know we don't i mean on the records we want them to sound the songs to sound as good as possible and we want to maximize um 
you know, the, the arrangements and so forth. But, you know, when we go out and play, it's, it's, it's pretty in your face and it's not, uh, they're not a lot of frills and we're able to just, you know, deliver that, um, sound that you would hear if you were hearing us in our practice space, you know, we can go and play anywhere. We can play, you know, barely with no PA because we just have that sound, uh, coming out of the four of us. There's, there's no, you know, bells or whistles. We're not relying on any, you know, we don't have keyboards or samples or any backing tracks or any of that kind of stuff that, uh, people use these days and it's just very straightforward so yeah if you if you hear us play somewhere you're going to hear what you would hear in our practice space yeah we rely on the energy of the four of us i mean it's key very no totally very totally we feed off each other for sure so let's get to the album so in, in particular obviously the new album hold me and this is the fifth album is that correct we had moonlight girls in 2005 cop light parade in 2008 lying is a dying guard in 2011 leaving minneapolis uh 2014 and now hold me in is that correct this is album five right so so talk a little bit about the similarities in the writing process for the albums and then kind of what you saw some of the differences because i know you stated those before i guess what felt different with this one outside of that hiatus that you guys took Ooh, that's that's a really tough question i think you know with the first record we were just finding our way like i like i said i wasn't even planning to sing in the band it was like right i was writing songs we got in the we got in the studio when we would rehearse because it was our bass player studio at the time and uh i would sing the songs because there was no no one there to sing them and and then one day the guys just said you should just sing it just makes sense um so from there it was really just trying to find our legs and i was writing songs um at a pretty good clip at that point and i think in, especially on that first record it was just like it was just coming out and I don't know, but there wasn't a lot of thought put into it. It just was what it was. Um, and part of that too, the first record's got obviously rockers on it, but it also had some pretty twangy stuff on it as well. And our original guitar player, Ben, uh, who we nicknamed country <laughs> for a very specific reason. Um, both it was, he's really into alt country Americana stuff and, that's the kind of guitar playing he played. He'd, he'd never played an electric guitar before we started the band. Um, so I think that kind of influenced a little bit of that first record as well. Um, you know, as we went along, um, he did pick up the electric and, and I love that record. It's most people will say it's probably our first or second best after this one. Um, so that one, that one has more of a, a twang to it just based on Ben second record um kind of similar but halfway through that record chad came in so you've got a little bit more guitar stuff going on guitar heroics going on right. on the second one to a degree um that's cop by parade and then on living is a dying art you know that was that was really chad's first coming in from the start moment uh, and he's a rock guitar guy um so that really influenced the band in that way where it started to shift and that brought us to leaving minneapolis um so I don't, I, it's hard to say on this new one. It, it really just came together as it came together. Like we had the songs, we got in the, got in the room and they just kind of came, came together quickly. I think the other thing too is Nick, you came to the table, right? With, with, I mean, some songs that just innately on paper were really strong. Um, and I think, you know, Mark alluded, alluded to that earlier. And I think even the, the things that weren't, that were brought in as we were working on it, um, had so much potential. I think the fun thing was the unique new way of recording um, and frankly arranging uh, together when, you know, there were times where it was just Nick and Chad in the studio working on some things right. or Chad and Mark or things being sent to me and we're talking about things over the phone. Um, I, it's funny, I, I've, I've told this story a couple of times, but I remember, you know, standing in line with my my now six-year-old son at a fourth of july celebration he was you know waiting to use the bathroom and i get a phone call from the guys from the studio like hey we re-recorded hold me in we want to get your you know your 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 opinion and they played it to me over the phone um you know and we talked through things that way so i think just the the unique way in which we had to record and almost fully do the album um i don't know if it just created you know new freshness or what but it, it it 
I think it, it baked something new, some additional special, special sauce into what we were doing. No, and I think part of it, too, that's really benefited us, we've always, you know, been recording all in the same room, and we still do for the most part, other than Jim, who has to kind of do when he does it. Uh, we, uh, one of the things that kind of works out is I think Jim had even more time to kind of hone the backing vocal stuff that he does, which is just awesome on the new record. It's, I think it's Jim's finest lead backing vocals, as we like to call them. Um, and then Chad, you know, he recorded his lead guitar parts kind of on his own as well. Um, and I think just the time to do that alone, kind of, I think that worked in our favor in a lot of ways, because instead of we're all staring each other down going, what do you have? What do you have? I think that extra time it took um, in regards to the backing vocals and the lead guitar stuff really benefited from that way of, of working. Cool. Now, overall, I'd say it was kind of oddly more collaborative um, doing it that way because, yeah. you know, there'd be a, a version, a skeleton of a song that we hash out and then, you know, send it to Jim and then Jim put some stuff on it, which then makes us go back and, you know, tweak our parts, change our arrangement, maybe re-record the whole thing. Uh, you know, that that gives you a way to kind of thoughtfully uh do that collaboration, you know, versus just everybody uh, playing at full volume in a practice space. And then, you know, sometimes when, after you record a song, you, you sit there and you go, Oh, that's what you were playing. I, I never really hear that when we're playing live because it's so loud, you know, this, this way you could actually hear everything that people were contributing, you know, respond to it and uh, react to it. And then, you know, have some time for the other person then to uh, process what, what you've done with, with their thing. So it was kind of like a, you know, like a tennis match, you know, volley back and forth, you know, until we got to something that we really liked and we had the time and we had the luxury of doing that. You know, we had the necessity of doing it because we had people involved in the record that don't live in the same city uh, with the luxury of doing it because Chad is a really great engineer and has a really uh, wonderful studio that he's put together and knows how to use it. So, we weren't all trying to cram into a studio where the clock's ticking, the meter's running, and and we just have to blast through the songs to try to get them on tape. That's right. I think the other cool thing too sure. is I think after doing that, um, I I'm very surprised even now, you know, months after it's been released and all the time spent, there was very little that we we all agreed were like that's terrible, that needs to be cut, that needs to be you know redone or this doesn't fit. I think that even with that more time and more thorough thought, I still think that ultimately what we generally put down on tape still sounded really good. And we all agreed like, yep, we're right where we need to be. Right. And I think, I think that we wouldn't be able to do what we're doing now without the fact that we spent all those years in the practice space, uh, you know, showing up to a show with, without practicing and being able to have that muscle memory. And, and we, we put out a live album uh, last year, live at first Avenue. We played a show there. And it was professionally recorded, and it's probably one of the best best shows we ever played. And it just happened to be recorded live, so we released it. So, but just to be able to show up with limited practice, if any, and, and be able to pull it off, we couldn't have done that without all of those years of just sweating it out in the practice space. And I think that goes um, as far as the studio as well. The same sort of a thing. We we just kind of know how to make it work. Whereas if we were a band day one. Um, trying to do that, I think it would probably be a disaster. <laughs> I, I could imagine. Now, now with the album, Hold Me, and I, I noticed, and Mark and I are album guys, and we constantly talk about this on you know the close to 40 now episodes that, that we've done where the albums, we love listening to albums, we love putting them on, there's a flow to them. Um, I, I noticed that there was a, a very healthy flow on this album. I mean, you have work release, um, right from the get get-go sets kind of the tone um, and then a couple of tracks down you know from never get that far and, and life could get so long it tones it and tones the album down for a minute and then goes back how much thought was put into that or did you guys just say well this kind of makes sense or was there an intent behind, <laughs> behind the flow of the album well we're album people first and foremost you know singles are great for what they are but ultimately we will always make albums and I always sequence as if it's an album. Right. Uh, that's just the way we've listened to music our whole lives. And, and I can't see that changing. It's, you know, it should be a little bit of a journey. And um, 
As far as sequencing, you know, I I tend to come with the songs and we kind of finish writing and arranging them together. But as far as like the actual sequencing, um, I think um, Mark and Jim here probably do a majority of that, sending things back and forth. And, and they've always been really good at that piece, making sure things are where they were supposed to be, because uh, this is not the order I came up with. Right. And I think it's the perfect order. So I've learned that I should probably just uh, step out of the way when it comes to that sort of a thing. <laughs> Yeah, we do. We put a lot of thought and even uh, debate and argument into the sequencing of, of the song. So I'm really happy to hear that uh, that it pays off and that people actually, um, you know, in, enjoy that and, and, you know, appreciate it for what it is. But, yeah, I, for me, it's super important because, you know, I'm I'm um, I'm an older guy. I come from listening to, you know, albums, listening to sides of albums and you know, the first song, the second song, um, the, you know, second song, the first song on side two, so to speak, is still, you know, a big thing for me. So, I mean, I still think in terms of a, of a vinyl sequence, whether there's a vinyl record coming out or not. Right. And right. I, I want those that ebb and flow, you know, like you're talking about, you want to come out with some couple of strong tracks, but, um, you know, then the album has to go through a few different moods. So, it is kind of like when you're talking about those party records, you know, you want a record that can hang, you can hang with for, for the whole record. It's not a record where you have to put down your drink and go, uh, you know, put something else in or skip over some tracks. You kind of want a record that gives you a, a, an experience, takes you on a, a little uh, journey with some variety up and down in the, in the uh, road that you're traveling, you know, some different landscapes you're looking at while you, you know, are, are hanging with this record for 45 minutes. But I, I think it's part of the I do think the sequencing is part of the storytelling, um, you know, and it, it does feel good. I, I will say, I think uh, if I can think back to a couple of of Mark and I's most tenuous arguments in the time of the band, it's always around sequencing of songs and being very specific or, or bullheaded about where we feel things should fit. So it does feel good to hear that it's appreciated. But, you know, I think when the songs are so well put together and the story writing is so good that sequencing is part of that storytelling as well. And that's why it's so important. I think that, you know, I think eight track song is a great song and I think it's a great way to end the album. Um, and I think that the, the, the space and the openness on it, but it wouldn't have made any sense as track five or track six, you know, it, it, it belonged where, where we put it and everything that came before it, um, I think was a lead up to that, to that final track. So, uh, from that standpoint, as part of that storytelling, so I think it's really important. Now, now on the track, never got that far. I noticed there's a different singer on the second verse. J Jim, is that you? No, that's Andrew Hira, our guy Andrew Hira from Billy Pilgrim. Ah, got it. So, so live, I'm assuming Nick, you t you take over and sing that second verse, correct? Well, we never. Well, I play it acoustic live once in a while, doing solo stuff, but overall. Uh, we haven't really played that live just because we haven't had the opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Uh, but no, Andrew is, he's, he's an interesting part of this because um, years ago, my first band, we played our first show at a high school and we had, you know, these like five or six loud punk rock songs, but we kicked off the show doing like three acoustic covers, which seems really strange now. Uh, <laughs> but one of them was a song called Sweet Louisiana Sound by Billy Pilgrim. Um, they were an Atlantic Records band in the 90s. And they were on this compilation that the singer and I really liked. Um, and years later, um, through our friend Dave, who booked shows in Illinois, uh, I ended up meeting Andrew. And he was telling me about how he had booked him and how he's great. And he's in this band called Billy Pilgrim. And I'm like, no way. Um, so we became friends. And uh, before we ever had a conversation we kind of made a deal because we i sent him like an iphone video of me playing the first verse and chorus of that song over facebook messenger <laughs> through my iphone nice and he sent back the next verse and the next chorus and we finished it that way and we made an agreement that we were not going to talk to each other on the phone at all before the song was written and recorded right uh which we didn't. So by what you're hearing on the record is all written basically over Facebook messenger and then recorded because he lives out in Connecticut. Uh, and then once we were done and Chad sent the mix down of it, uh, Andrew and I got on the phone and chat officially and laughed about it. Uh, but no, he's a great guy. He's Billy Pilgrim just got back together. Actually. He's uh, oh, cool. 
his partner in uh, Billy Pilgrim is uh, Christian Bush, who actually started the country band Sugarland. If you've heard of them, yeah, absolutely. Okay, yeah. So they just uh, they just got the band back together, and they're uh, re-releasing kind of their lot, uh, lost album that they had uh, put out years ago. That they only printed up like 500 copies, and then they kind of stopped playing, and then he started Sugarland. Um, so he's back doing that now, but, uh, we've done a little bit more collaborating here and there too, just sending stuff back, but, uh, he's a wonderful guy and obviously a great singer. Right. Um, a lot of people ask me how we got Willie Nelson to sing on a record, but that's actually Andrew. <laughs> I mean, it is twangier than the way you were singing. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but nevertheless, no, he's, I was like, really? great. It, it fit the flow. And, and the next question I had was this idea of hold me in. Cause again, I'm thinking albums, right? I'm thinking themes and we get a title track too down, the, down the way. What was kind of that idea? Cause I, and obviously it's left up to interpretation to, to many different people and everyone, you know, has their own interpretation of things, which is, absolutely awesome but kind of was there that central theme with these songs and the concept of holding me in whatever that means to to anybody well it was that's that's a really good question because this record and most of the records like a majority of it i you know i'll come in with the songs kind of written and then like i said we'll arrange do some rewrites here and there um over the years there's been some discussion about you know, well, Jim sing a song or, you know, Jim's a songwriter in his own right. He just released his first uh, solo record. Oh, nice. Uh, recently, too. Very um, cool. But Mark one day said, hey, Jim, you have anything? And this is kind of the first time we, you know, Jim co-wrote uh, Chase the Ghost on on Leaving Minneapolis and sang uh, vocals on that as two lead vocals on, on a couple of verses. Uh, but this was kind of the first time where we said, Jim, do you have a song? Like, do you have a song? Just give us a song. And uh, we, he sent it. We high on stressed it up. We actually did two versions. This really uh, kind of strange, quiet version, and then the uh, the rock version that's on the record. And we were going to decide between the two. So um, Jim's uh, first solo uh, songwriting moment ended up being the title track of the record. So wow, um, it, he, he didn't get any extra money because there isn't any. Uh, <laughs> so as far as the i don't know you want to talk about what hold me in means to you jim i think it works yeah. great with songs but uh that's that's your jam right there it's funny it's funny too because I, I i remember sending it over and when i wrote the song and i wrote the song um you know months a couple of months before we decided to move so i was still in minnesota before we, I told the guys we were moving and, and we knew that that was coming. So the song is really about, um, the end of a chapter and kind of, you know, um, you know, the moving on from, from a big portion of my life and, and holding on to holding on to that, what I was taking with me, you know? Um, so it's, it's funny that for me, there's parts of the song that are a reflection of the band ending. And then, you know, that would be, and the best part is I looked at it as the reason I sent that song is I felt it had the best opportunity to potentially to be like an Americana kind of countryish feeling high on stress song. And then when the guy sent it back to me and it was this kind of rocking, you know, rock song, I was like, Oh, that's not at all what I would have done. And this is great. So, um, but I think the crazy thing about it is, the, you know, we, we chatted through that and, and, and the song, you know, was it, um, the, what the final version of the song was great. And then as we started thinking about the content of the other songs and really how we all felt for the, for the other songs and the, the collection is itself, it just started to make sense. I, I about, I about lost it when Mark was like, I think we should call this sucker hold me in. And I thought, I thought they were pulling my leg. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I think it works really well with the concept of the record. Uh, a lot of the songs, a lot of the lyrics over the course of all the records really, if you really dig in, you know, is there's a lot of talk about time and time moving and time slipping. And right. I think hold me in kind of fits that uh, topic. And on top of that, one day Mark had posted on Facebook this fabulous painting that his daughter did of a clock melting and that's the cover right right away and i said that is the album cover yeah. that is so cool because it fits the lyrics it fits hold me in and uh you know ultimately that was the album cover and boy when that final showed up a couple weeks ago i couldn't believe how great that thing looked 
Yeah, to- totally fits the theme of everything. And Nick, a quick question too, because I noticed you were using Les Pauls. I'm a guitar player myself, so I noticed you're using Les Pauls a lot of the time. Uh, I did see though the YouTube video, the, the quarantine video, you had the Telecaster. Uh, is there a preference when you're trying to get that certain tone and certain sound, or is it really, is the Les Paul the, the more of the go-to acts for you? Yeah, well, it's interesting. I, you know, I love my Tele. Um, I, it's more of a studio guitar for me. Right. So there'll be a layer of a, a Tele on there usually once in a while. I'll do that. But more times than not, I'm a, I'm a Les Paul guy. Um, and on stage, especially with this band, I'm a Les Paul guy. Cool. Um, Chad Chad owns some amazing, like, 68 Les Paul. He's got a 71 gold top. Um, I've got a Les Paul here, too. And then uh, – but Chad's also got a bunch of Tellies. And so in the band, Chad usually plays Tellies. I play Les Pauls. Uh, but in the studio, it's kind of a whatever is necessary for the song in the studio. Nice, nice. So, um, we, we've done kind of a, a quarantine record. What What do you guys see the next move for High on Stress be? We're going to get another record this way. We're we just going to wait it out and see what happens. What's the plan? Well, we were planning a an East Coast tour uh, with our friends, the sparklers out of Philadelphia. Okay. In fact, if you want a, another band to talk to the sparklers out of Philadelphia is a great one. Yeah. I, I'd, I'd love why, to. Why don't we finish this first? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So do that. Um, <laughs> but uh, we were going to do an East coast tour with them. We were talking Baltimore, Philadelphia, uh, New Jersey and New York. And then Look possibly- at that. even, even these guys from Minnesota don't want to come to Florida, oh. <laughs> but then we were, uh, we were going to end with a possible show in Connecticut where Andrew lives. And oh, okay. kind of, and then of course, everything happened and that didn't happen. So hopefully we get around to that. Um, I've talked to Andrew about doing some solo acoustic shows with him, probably in like Atlanta and Charleston, maybe Florida, who knows? Yeah. Uh, but as far as band stuff, I think when all is said and done, hopefully we can finally get back to, some Midwest shows, uh, get over to the Northeast to hang out with the sparklers. And, uh, you know, the next record, who knows, like we've already started writing. I've got a couple things that I'm working on, but you know, there's no big hurry that this, uh, record's pretty darn new still. So I'm, sure. I'm not too concerned about that, but ultimately I'm sure there'll be another one down the road. Cool. Mark, do you have the real answer? <laughs> <laughs> Which no, Mark? That's... <laughs> No, we don't. We don't know what's coming next. Yeah, no, that's fair, and that's that. That's one of those questions I knew I had to ask, but obviously, you know, the answers right now are kind of limited. Um, Is there anything? Obviously, we want you guys to be able to get this record in front of as many people as as available, and we hope all of our listeners will take the opportunity to check it out. Are there any uh, side projects or anything else you guys are working on that you'd like to just take a moment to? to recommend uh, our listeners check out yeah no jim you said you have a soul album right yeah so it's uh they i released it in june um it was kind of a almost a dare from the guys in the band they've been uh telling me i need to release something of my own for like well pretty much since the day they met me and we decided to do it as a giveaway for our kickstarter for the the moonlight girls vinyl that we did and so chad and i have spent the last 18 months working on it so it came out it's on Bandcamp. Cool. um it's on Spotify, all everywhere you can get your music. So, um, so yeah. Mark, you're in a lot of bands. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in other bands as well. Um, I'm in a band called the Heavy Sixers. Um, that's an uh, original band that you can find uh, in on Bandcamp and SoundCloud. We don't have a, a, a record out yet we've got a, a number of recordings that we've recorded in our studio but that's uh, the heavy sixers i'm also in a band called the red flags which is sort of a it's a, a band with like some really um uh, great musicians and me somehow so i'm not sure how i got into that band but that, that's a great band that nobody's ever heard of um the red flags and then and there, there's a couple of red flags records actually only one that's been released then i'm also in a band called whiskey rock and roll club minneapolis Yep, that's the actual name of the band. Nice. And uh, we have a, a couple of records out um, that are available on the uh, usual, you know, Spotify, Bandcamp, um, and so forth. So greatest uh, merch of all time, by the way. Don't we do that. have some pretty good merch. So you know, if, you, if we have a a shirt that uh, a lot of people, do, I don't even know if you need to listen to the band, but people like the shirt because it's got a snake, nice, spitting nice. lightning bolts, and it says whiskey. <laughs> It says rock and roll, 
it's his club and it's his Minneapolis, you know, so it's kind of like got all the elements of design that you would want in, a, in an article of clothing. So, <laughs> you know, just, they fly off the shelf. Pretty so, awesome. Yeah, I, I play in those other bands and, um, you know, those those are all things mostly that you can catch uh, or in norm, under normal circumstances catch around here in Minneapolis. And Nick, what about you? Any acoustic solo stuff or any, any thoughts of putting anything together? No, uh, I'm not like, I'm not one of those people who writes a thousand songs a year or, you know, a million records. So I, this is kind of where it goes. I do do some solo shows here and there when, when uh, you can, but you know, this is, this is really the thing that I love doing the most and, and kind of what it leads me back to. And, and uh, unless I was a guitar player in somebody else's band, it, it really wouldn't make sense because there's just not enough songs to go around. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. So, so as stated earlier, we recommend records to each other review. We also take fan requests for albums to review. Me and Mark have a lot of fun with it. We discovered some cool bands uh, a few, well, many episodes ago. Someone recommended the band Rival Sons to us, and, and I really dug them. I know I recommended Mark check out Afghan Wigs, which he wasn't overly familiar with at the time. He absolutely loves them. Do you guys have a rock album to suggest to us? What would that album be? Because that's the album that we're going to be reviewing on our next episode. That's a hard one since there's three of us. Yeah. <laughs> guys got to agree on it too. Oh, we have to agree on it. Oh, gee. We're going to be here all night. Well, Nick, I know you've you... only spent I know you've only spent 65 minutes with us, but uh, our our ability to agree in a short period of time is not necessarily a strong suit. <laughs> you know, I would I'll just I pass agree. the fuck here to Nick. Nick, you've got all those, you know, uh, lost 90s uh, you, you know, alt rock gems that, you know, like fig dish and things like that. I mean, why don't you just pull one of those records out of your hat? Oh yeah, that's a good one. So uh, I'll, I'll end on one, but like you said, uh, you know, jets to Brazil, orange rhyming dictionaries, one okay. for sure. Uh, another one, super drag in general all across the board. I love that band, but I think Mark is right. This is the moment because I am on a mission. And uh, I'm friends with them on Facebook, and I don't know these people at all. But occasionally, I will harass them about getting back together. Um, this is another moment all right. where I'm going to say Big Dish. That's what love songs often do. They were a Chicago band out of the 90s. Okay. Um, I think they were on Polygram Records. They released two records, and they were so awesome. I love them. And uh, they're going to get back together because I keep putting it out in the universe. So we're going to go Big Dish. That's what love songs often do. Nice. Uh, I, I think you could probably find it online to give it a listen if you. Uh, yeah, I see it right here. Released in 95. We got 13 songs, 50 minutes worth. Fig Dish. That will be the album um, that, that we, will be, we will be reviewing. And, and hopefully your efforts make them get back together. You know, there, when I asked uh, on Instagram to you guys, is leaving Minneapolis going to be on Spotify? Me and Mark have a running joke because uh, I think it was last year, right, Mark, where we saw uh, Chad Price from All and Dragged River at a show. And I, and I said, listen, I said, Chad, Plum, uh, Pummel, which is one of our favorite all records, it's not on yeah. It's not on Spotify. And then shortly after, it became on Spotify. So I said, see, Mark, I said, because of my conversation with Chad, we got it on Spotify. So, Nick, hopefully you get some influence there with Fignish. <laughs> Thank you. And to your point, that all Pummel record is fantastic. But let's just take a moment to tell them that that song, Hetero, should have never happened because that was hideous. Yeah. Yes. Yes. But and no one ever calls them out on it. For as much as I love that record, that song is garbage. Well, okay. you, you know, the, the problem is as soon as you start as soon as you start talking about all, people just want to talk about the Descendants, which is um, – I, I understand that they don't know the difference, but it's really too bad because all is fantastic. And, yeah, that yeah. Pummel in particular has some, some very cringeworthy moments. There's a few. There's a yeah, few. Just a few. But million bucks is on there. Oh, come on. Long That's distance, uh breaking up, yes. right? Um not easy. Miranda. I mean, those are all great. Yeah. I'm just Your happy I dodged right. another. Uncle Furtick and Hetero can go away. Yes, there you go. There you go. <laughs> Stalker, that's another one I kinda like too, actually. Um anyway, so yeah, so I got that album back on there so hopefully <laughs> that's a good thing <laughs> well, I, well I, i've uh ruined our chances of ever playing with the descendants are all bill stevenson probably <laughs> going to kill them after what i just said so sorry guys <laughs> oh well listen guys we, we really had a fun time 
chatting with you guys. Um, what's the best way for to, can't, for fans to keep up to date with all your happenings? Is it Instagram? Is it Facebook? How can fans get connected with you guys? Yeah, no, I, Facebook is a good way, but, you know, they limit what people can actually see. So quite honestly, these days, uh, Instagram and Twitter are probably the better options. Uh, or Bandcamp in general. All of our records are on there. The, the greatest hits, the live album is on there. Um, but uh, I would say those three places are probably the best. And everybody kind of has their own preference which ones they go to. But uh, we're kind of everywhere, but that would be my recommendation. Or just the we do, we do have a... We do have a we do have a website. Oh right, yeah, Jim. I forgot about website. We, we do have a website. Yes, <laughs> highunstressband.com. There you go. There you go. So that's another way people could connect with you, right? Yeah, Indeed. and that's got links to all of our social media as well as you know where you can buy uh, records and downloads and you know links to to links to all the stuff you need to be linked. Very cool. Very cool. Well, listen, guys, we really appreciate your time. I know you guys are busy with life, but it was extremely enjoyable to chat with everyone, find out about you guys. Hopefully we can have you on again in a, in a future episode. Uh, listen, because there will be a review of the Fig Dish album. So, Nick, thank you so much for yes. doing that. Um, for all those listening, you know, be sure to check us out on Instagram. Check out High on Stress on Instagram, our Facebook group. Subscribe to YouTube. Like all those other things. And I say this. Be well, everyone. Bye-bye. Thanks for having us.